Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. So we always talk about the fact that 20% of the world's fresh water is right here in the Great Lakes region. One of the Earth's most precious resources literally surrounds our state here in Michigan. It's a gift that we really take for granted too often. But it's also one that requires us all to think of ourselves as stewards. Unfortunately, we don't always collectively do what's necessary to act as stewards, to protect this precious source of fresh water. In fact, a new series of reports from Cranes looks at the ways we've allowed plastic and microplastic pollution to become ubiquitous in the lakes and in the land surrounding them. Eric Friedman is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. Uh, He's the professor and chair of the Knight Center for Environmental Journalism at the Michigan State University. And he's been reporting on the issue of pollution in the Great Lakes for the most recent Cranes Forum, including a piece titled Swimming in Plastic, Great Lakes Microplastics Pollution is Showing Up in Fish, Birds, and Your Beer Glass. Eric Friedman Welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Thank you for the invitation to talk about this. So let's start here. How bad has this problem of plastic pollution become in the Great Lakes? It's become increasingly worse. And one thing that makes it so difficult is that, A, we don't know the human effects of plastic, on our bodies when we're drinking it in our beer or our tap water. We don't know the long-term effects on wildlife, the long-term effects on, on the fish that we catch when we go up north. Second is that these pieces are so tiny that two-tenths of an inch and smaller that we don't see them on the beach. They're blowing into the sand dunes. They're ending up everywhere they're ending up in the air and it's not obvious like the plastic bottle that somebody leaves on the beach they break down because of the effects of sun and wind and water and and the chemicals in them are a variety of plastics and polymers and we talk about this as PFAS uh, and we talk about that a lot here on the show and I always want to pause when we start this conversation and explain just a little more about how all of that works and what it is. I think one of the problems we have with moving the ball on dealing with this issue is the fact that most people, I think, really don't don't get it. They really don't understand. So talk about how how ubiquitous this this chemical, this set of chemicals is in our environment and how it ends up in our water. We're an industrialized society and industry is coming up all the time with new kinds of products. So we want our little juice boxes to last a long time and not change the taste. So there are different level, different layers of, of chemicals that go into the packaging. We want efficiency. We want inexpensive products. So 
the care that goes into preventing discharges from factories or chemical spills isn't the top priority. As for where they come from, they're coming from our clothes, synthetic fibers, and we wash them, wash uh, those fibers, often microscopic, wash into the wastewater. Many, often most of those fibers are caught at the water treatment plants, but not always. When it rains, the little particles from our tires wash into the catch basins and the sewers that go into the streams that feed the Great Lakes. Fishing line breaks down. Styrofoam coolers break down. Industrial waste, airborne pieces of plastic that come out of chimneys and power plants, all those contribute to the problem. Mm. And when lots of us go to the beaches here on the Great Lakes, we don't really see these effects. We don't see the consequences of these plastics. Now, there are some places that you can see it, and there are some places where it's it's a, a, a visible issue uh, that, that keeps people out of the water. But in, in many cases, we just don't have any way to know about this. But in your reporting you're talking about how this pollution is now showing up in fish and in birds. And as it says in the headline for one of your stories, it's showing up uh, in our beer glasses. Uh, talk about how we know how we know that's true and what effect that's having on us and on the environment. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned craft beer because that seems to catch people's attention, including mine. <laughs> it was a study done, and it looked at 12 brews from the Great Lakes region, including from breweries in Holland and Alpena, Michigan, that drew municipal water that came from the Great Lakes. And all 12 of those had microscopic fibers and fragments in the in the samples and 81 percent of the tap water from the municipal systems that those breweries used had little particles micro particles there as for the fish it's interesting because we eat the fish and we don't always know what the fish eat Uh, the great lakes indian fish and wildlife commission talked about the problem in lake superior where Some species of fish mistake these particles of plastic for food. So they're ingesting them, and at the same time, they're not getting the nutrients they would get from real food. And we're seeing them in some of the birds, the water birds of the Great Lakes region, like the cormorants that are feeding the fish to their little chicks. And the long-term effects of this malnutrition on the birds is still under study. I'm talking with Eric Friedman. He's a professor and chair of the Knight Center for Environmental Journalism at Michigan State University. He has been reporting on the issue of pollution in the Great Lakes for most the most recent uh, Cranes Forum, including a piece titled Swimming in Plastic. Great Lakes Microplastics Pollution is Showing Up in Fish, Birds, and Your Beer Glass. We want to hear from you during this conversation as well. What's your reaction to the fact that we put 22 million pounds of plastic pollution in the Great Lakes each year? I'm going to say that again. 22 million pounds of plastic pollution in the Great Lakes each year. 
How do you think that affects the way the lakes operate? How do you think that affects the ecosystems that are reliant on this incredibly precious source of fresh water? And give us a call and let us know what kinds of things you hope people and businesses and government will do to try to address this problem. How do we change our behavior in a way that slows down or maybe even halts the pollution of the lakes uh, by these plastics? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or if you go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, we can try to include you in the conversation uh, that way. Also, it, it's summertime and folks are out at the beaches. Folks are going up north and out west and enjoying the recreational uh, value of, of all of this fresh water we have. Uh, tell me if you've noticed a change in the beaches that you go to. Tell me if you feel like they're more polluted than they have been uh, in the past. Is there a beach that you're used to going to that uh, sometimes you can't go to, that you can't get into the water because of some of the pollution that uh, that has taken place. We'd love to hear what your summer experience has been uh, with this issue. And again, 313-577-1019 is the, the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, and uh, we'll try to include you um, in the conversation that way. Um, uh, Eric, before we get to, to listeners, uh, I, I want to put that question to you. What are the things that we want people in business and government to do to try to slow the pollution of the lakes with these, with these plastics? What are some of the practical things that, uh, that might make a difference? First is personal responsibility. We've all been to, to the beach and we're unwrapping the sandwich and the plastic wrap blows away and we don't go chase it and put it into the, the trash bin. We need, we need to do that kind of thing and reduce the amount of plastic we use and the amount that we dispose of. Second, I think we need tougher government regulations, federal regulations on industrial waste. Uh, there's, there's a tiny pellets called nodules that manufacturers use to make the plastic products. And there have been reports on spills of, of those little nodules. The U.S. Senator from Illinois, Dick Durbin, has proposed legislation that would give the Environmental Protection Agency regulatory authority over, over that. And the third thing, which given the thousands of miles of shoreline doesn't seem like much, but still important for public awareness, is participation in some of these volunteer cleanup activities that local community groups are doing. There's a group in Ludington, for example, that goes out once a month and cleans the plastic from the beaches. There's a program in Canada. Uh, the Alliance for the Great Lakes has a regional environmental program in which people go out and clean up and it reduces some of the material that gets into the lakes but more importantly it makes people aware that they can do things to reduce what ends up floating drifting blowing in the wind mm -hmm. that they don't want to end up in their brew in their tap water in their fish mm. 
Uh, let's go to the phones here. Leslie in Hazel Park. Leslie, what's on your mind? Yeah, I was thinking that uh, the government should put some sort of regulations on trying to come up with some alternatives that PFOS does to their products and then just uh, have the EPA join in with the thing and just eliminate, eventually eliminate, I know it's not going to be done in in a year, but have a, a, a law that you can't use X, Y, or Z in your products because they do end up in the in the water systems. Yeah. Um, so, so Leslie, that's actually a really great question. Uh, I, I love the simplicity of your thinking there, uh, Eric Friedman. What prevents the government from just saying, "Hey, you can't use this stuff anymore. You can't use this to make clothing," or uh, "We need to reduce the amount of these kind of microparticles in in the plastic that we use in our kitchens and and other places." Why isn't something that simple uh, a, a, a fix for all of this? Two words to answer that, Stephen. Politics and money. <laughs> I'm uh, surprised. <laughs> the industries that manufacture products, the customers, the consumers who want them, we like our polar tech. We like those synthetics rather than wool or cotton. So there's that part of it. And then... The cost of materials, uh, plastic is cheap to make. And a lot of the materials we import from, from China and elsewhere, whether it's clothing or toys, have plastic, which is cheap for them to make and cheap for them to ship to the United States. And so, I mean, we, we, I feel like that's a, an issue we face with lots of different things, right? The, the right thing to do is more expensive uh, to, to than the easy thing to do. And we end up making a choice, uh, sometimes splitting the, the, the baby, so to speak, and, and trying to limit the use of something. But, but you know, it's, it's hard to convince people that uh, they should pay more for something uh, in order to save the environment. But, but talk about the tension between those two things here and whether there is any pressure on government to do this differently uh, and where that pressure would be coming from. I mean, are, are we uh, way far out of whack in terms of the balance here between the profit motive and the need to preserve the environment? Let me give you an example from close to home, Stephen. The city of Ann Arbor wanted to ban single-use plastic bags from mm-hmm. most uses at supermarkets and other stores, which it's a uh, move that New York State has done. Well, the Michigan legislature stepped in, passed the law during the Snyder administration that prohibits local governments from banning single-use products like plastic bags or those clamshell uh, holders that we get our takeaway Food in. So the plastics industry, the manufacturing industry, the grocers all have economic power, and the Republican legislature in that case and in other cases involving local environmental initiatives prohibited the local governments from acting. And, and when something like that happens, it sets us 
way back, right? I mean, that's a structural change to the nature of the law that makes it much harder for municipalities and, and other uh, uh, designations of government to, to, to do anything about this. I mean, it's not just about plastic bags in Ann Arbor. Then it becomes about any effort to regulate uh, uh, these kinds of things statewide. In my reporting for Crane's Forum on this, I interviewed the mayor of St. Catharines, Ontario, and that city has, among other things, banned the uh, sale in city buildings of plastic water bottles, banned the use of non-recyclable plastic plates and silverware and cups in city parks or the hockey arena and other public facilities. So local governments, if they have the authority, can take action close to home, which constituents, the voters, the taxpayers, the citizens, will see as a step forward. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Eric Friedman of uh, Michigan State University. Uh, We're also going to continue to hear from you on the phones. V in Detroit, John on the east side. You'll be up next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to social media, put comments there, and we'll try to include you in the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Eric Friedman, professor and chair of the Knight Center for Environmental Journalism at Michigan State University. We're talking about the pollution in our Great Lakes and particularly these microplastics uh, that are showing up in new and different ways as pollution in our lakes and in the wildlife that rely on the lakes for uh, their lives. Uh, Also showing up in some cases in the things that we drink. Uh, in our beer glasses, uh, for instance, from local uh, breweries. Uh, what are we supposed to do about these plastics that are pretty ubiquitous uh, in our world and make things easier and more comfortable for us, but uh, when they wash down the drain, they too often end up in the Great Lakes. Uh, we want to hear from you about what you think we ought to be doing. I also want to hear from you about maybe your experiences uh, this summer Uh, Are you going to the beaches here in Michigan and noticing more pollution than you did before? Are you unable to go to some places into the water uh, because there is uh, pollution? Uh, Also, what do you want to do? How how would you change our behavior uh, in order to keep uh, these these pollutants out of the Great Lakes? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or to Twitter 
and put comments there, and uh, we'll try to include you in the conversation that way. Let's go to John on the east side. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. So um, two questions. Uh, one, it, aren't a lot of uh, cosmetic products, uh, shampoos and conditioners and all that also part of the part of the PFAS problem? And then isn't... Isn't uh, fossil fuels, like, behind everything? Because a lot of these are just byproducts of uh, the uh, crude oil um, refinement, and that's where we get natural gas, and then we get all these other products that would just go into landfills, but they found that they can use the, you know, the, the wastes from the production of oil to create all this. Hmm. Uh, a great question, John, and I uh, appreciate the call. Uh, Eric Friedman, what's the answer? Uh, plastics are made from petroleum p- products. So, yes, the, the oil industry is is behind it, major supplier of components. Uh, as to those products in face scrubs and other cosmetic materials, both the Canadian and U.S. governments have banned those uh, already. So some of them are still in the lakes, but uh, no more is supposed to be going in. Uh, again, John, thanks for the call and the question. Uh, let's go to V in Detroit. V, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey. Uh, thank you. I have three issues about this. One is the ecosystem in um, Alaska where they are mining. Those trees have been there, and the people have complained there because they're destroying that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. They're mining, and they're destroying these trees, these great giant trees that's destroying the fish. Now, the water travels to the Great Lakes. Water travels fast. Two, ban the uh, incoming merchandise from the other countries because most of the things I go and I check out, they have synthetics and they're always from another country. Any of the synthetics, we need to buy the natural fibers, um, cotton, linen, wool. Thirdly, most important, we need to re-educate our people because we don't know. We think cheap is, we're getting away with something. We're not getting away with nothing. We're buying cheap, cheap, cheap over and over and over. We buy something of quality, you have it for years. And this is what we need to teach our children and adults. Mm. They either spend too much or they spend too little. Mm. Uh, v, I, the middle way. Uh, v, so I thank you. really appreciate the call uh, and the comments there. I want to go quickly to another call that's similar to the things that V is talking about. Glenn in uh, Santa Rosa, California. Glenn, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, V is right on uh, money there. I wanted to ask, uh, when you talk about uh, spending more money, don't buy the cheap stuff. My understanding is that Patagonia is a company that provides uh, uh, products that are uh, environmentally safe, and they use processes that are very environmentally uh, sound. If that's true, uh, then we should, uh, like V said, we should switch to uh, the natural fibers. But if we're going to buy synthetic, we should buy from a company like Patagonia, although it's much more expensive. 
Mm. What does Dr. Friedman think about that? Mm. Uh, great question, uh, Glenn, uh, Eric. Uh, go ahead. We need to, uh, the caller is, is correct, we need to pay more attention to where our products come from and the, and the companies, particularly the brands we respect, uh, we have confidence in, in their quality that they're being socially responsible. It involves this, involves discrimination and employment, involves general environmental awareness, use of alternative energy. And we can make individual decisions in how we spend our money and for the good or not for the good. Mm, yeah. Uh, Glenn, uh, really appreciate the call and the thoughts there. Let's go to KT in Detroit. KT, what's on your mind? Hi, good morning. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really glad you're talking about this topic. As um, I really feel, or <laughs> we all know that um, plastic pollution is causing harms in communities like all along the way, right, from the time that it's taken out of the ground through fracking or in, you know, the oil wells that are happening all over the place to it being transported um, and then, you know, sent to places like Southwest Detroit for being refined um, to its single-use plastic and the pollution that's caused in the waterways and then all the way um, to the end product or the end up, you know, which was in our incinerator um, and now in a landfill. So, Plastic pollution is harming our communities every single step of the way, and it's harming our health, and it's harming um, our nature and our environment. Um, and the real cost of this pollution is not factored into the actual price of mm. these cheap products. And if it were to be, we would realize that it's not the cheapest option. Right. In the long run, it absolutely isn't. I mean, the, the, the long-term costs, both monetary and environmental are, are much steeper than than what people think they are. KT, you're you're absolutely you're absolutely right, and uh, I'm appreciative of uh, of the call and your your thoughtful reactions there. Um, let's go to Mike in Roseville. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, yeah, a few years ago, I was watching 60 Minutes. They did a segment on um, a guy that um, he had started inventing stuff. <laughs> and um got some patents um he his company was xylico and he um he turned inedible plant life into a uh, fuel biofuel and uh, i saw that and i was all excited i was just like finally you know you know somebody had the time and brains to do all this and uh, things are going to get going now and we're going to you know solve all these problems we're mm. having and i haven't seen anything uh, as a result, this is, you know, about three, two, three years later. Um, and, uh, I know he had patents and, uh, I know there was a, um, uh, a dispute about all that, you know, okay. You know, the cost of things and everything like that. So, uh, I'm just wondering, does anybody know about this? And <laughs> it was on 60 minutes. Right. <laughs> does anyone know about the, the bio, the biodegradable uh, plastics is what you're talking about. These ideas, the 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 kind of products that I guess would replace a lot of the things, uh, right? That that we have. Um, you know, I, I go ahead, go ahead, Mike. I'm sure the cost of things. I mean, he you know he wanted the price, he wanted this much, and you know I, that was my that's my only reasoning for okay, this is why it's taken so long, and. Um, 
you know, just wondering yeah. you know, what does anybody does anybody know about this because it was on national TV. Right, right. Uh, Mike, I really appreciate the call and the question. Unfortunately, we have lost Eric Friedman, who uh, was with us uh, from Michigan State University. We're trying to get him back on the line. Uh, I would love to have him come back and and talk specifically about uh, about your your question. So uh, we're going to hang on just a second. Uh, to see if Eric uh, gets back into the conversation. And uh, meanwhile, I'm going to move on to Mike in Gross Point. Mike, what's up? Good morning, Stephen. Yep. Morning, Stephen. Hi. So this Republican opposition to anything like limiting the use of plastics in uh, Ann Arbor, it's just one more piece of evidence of the Republican Party's total disregard for the environment and their all they see is a short-term profit for big business, regardless of the harm it does to the environment, as well as the long-term economic harms that are created by their actions. And really, the Republicans are China's best ally, because while China's, or the U.S., the Republicans are promoting the use of fossil fuels, China's busy with renewable energies and becoming the leader. And sooner or later, that's going to help them take us over economically and any other way they can. So mm. really, the Republicans are their best friends. Thank mm. you. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you know, uh, that, that's a great observation. It is largely true uh, of, of many uh, GOP representatives. And that's a great way to kind of wrap up this segment, given that this is an election day here in the state of Michigan. It is not a statewide election, but there are many municipal choices that people are making very, very local. Uh, it's important to get out and vote. It's important to get out and vote for the candidates that you think will do the best job at uh, all kinds of things, but specifically at things that, uh, that affect our environment and affect the way we live. All right. Uh, we do not have Eric Friedman back, but I want to thank him for joining us to talk about uh, plastics in the Great Lake. Uh, that was a really great conversation. Um, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we are going to change the subject pretty dramatically. We're going to talk about the recent surge in COVID cases with Wayne State University medical researcher Dr. Paul Kilgore. What should we be doing right now about the growth in cases, and what should we be preparing for? That's the question that's really on my mind. Are we looking at a fall where we have to go back to many of the restrictions and the distancing and all of the things that marked the pandemic year? We'll find out next from Dr. Kilgore. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.